0: you're listening to the news on rthk
1: with music news and information this is radio 3
2: Good morning from me Peter Lewis, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on the final trading day of the week and here are the business headlines for Friday the 24th of June. Business leaders have welcomed interim measures suggested by incoming Chief Executive John Lee as part of the city's gradual border reopening and they've also called for hotel quarantine requirements for travellers to be cut to three days. Mr. Lee told the South China Morning Post yesterday that he's working on a strategy to reopen the Hong Kong border with mainland China and may reduce quarantine for arrivals. The incoming CE also revealed that he plans to attend the annual APEC Leaders Summit in Bangkok in November, despite being under US sanctions, as part of a more aggressive drive to promote the SAR. Mr. Lee vowed to send out delegations overseas to counter fearmongering about Hong Kong. Eurozone business activity suffered a sharp slowdown in June. S&P Global said its flash Eurozone composite PMI fell to a 16-month low. The gauge in June was 51.9, down from 54.8 last month. Manufacturers' output and new orders both fell, and companies complained of high inflation, weak demand and political uncertainty. And in the US, the flash composite PMI declined to 51.2 from 536 S&P Global said in its report, the pace of economic growth in the US showed slowed sharply in June with deteriorating forward-looking indicators, setting the scene for an economic contraction in the third quarter. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris of Econosis Advisory and Martin Henneker from St. James's Place with a view from South Korea is Peter Kim of KB Securities. And please let us have any questions or comments. You can do that by texting sixty three ninety three fifty nine twenty five, 59 25, emailing moneytalk at rthk.hk, posting on our Facebook page Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3 or tweeting us at Money Talk Radio 3. Money
0: Talk on RTHK Radio 3.
2: On Wall Street, US stocks staged a late-day rally to close higher. The S&P 500 gained 1% to 3,796. The Dow rose 194 points, or 0.6%, to 30,677. The Nasdaq Composite Index outperformed, climbing 1.6% to 11,232. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index fell 0.8%. London's FTSE 100 dropped 1%. Hong Kong stocks, though, ended the day higher on Thursday after President Xi Jinping pledged to meet China's 5.5% growth target. The Hang Seng index rose 266 points, that's 1.3%, to 21,274, and the Hang Seng has rebounded now 15.5% since hitting a 2022 low on the 15th of March. The tech index rebounded 2.3% from a 4.4% fall on Wednesday. And the Shanghai Composite rose 1.6% to 3,320. And the index has rallied 15% since hitting a 2020 low on the 26th of April. Economic sensitive commodities tumbled Thursday as traders weighed the impact of a potential global recession on demand. Brent crude oil weakened 1.5% to $109.78 a barrel. Copper fell 5% to a 16-month low. Aluminium fell over 2% to a one-month low. Tin tumbled over 7%, while nickel extended its losses to more than 5%. And in China, soybean meal and rapeseed meals were down 7%, and palm oil was down 4%. In Dalian, iron ore dropped 2.3%. And gold this morning is now 0.8% at $1,824 an ounce. Global bond markets around the world rallied on Thursday on increasing recession fears following that data from the eurozone and the flash PMI data from the US. The 10-year Treasury note dropped seven basis points to a two-week low of 3.09%. Germany's 10-year bunt yield jumped nine, uh, tumbled 19 basis points to 1.44%. And the US dollar is slightly stronger this morning against a basket of currencies, with the exception of the Japanese Yen, which strengthened 1% to 134.82. The Euro is at 105.25 cents Sterling weakened to $1.22.5 and a half, and nine Hong Kong dollars and sixty-three cents. The Chinese yuan is at six point seven zero in offshore markets, and Bitcoin rose over four percent to twenty-one thousand. Not an awful lot of movement around Asia Pacific stock markets this morning. Uh, the S X two hundred in Australia is down about zero point two percent. The Nikkei two two five is pretty flat. The Cosby in South Korea up zero point three percent. And futures markets pointing to a flat start for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Time's Coming up to 8.09, let's welcome our Friday guests. As always on a Friday, we find Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, although we never quite know where in the world he is these days. Where are you, Andrew?
3: I'm in Athens. Very, very straightforward. And thank you. thank you for spreading my, my widely travelled uh, sort of kind of news. I do appreciate that.
2: We're, we're tracking you. We're tracking you. Over in Queensway, we know exactly where he is. Martin Henneker, Head of Investment Advisory at St. James's Place. Morning to you, Martin.
1: Yeah, good morning. And
2: that's right, I'm staying put right in Hong Kong. <laughs> Very wise. <laughs> um, recession fears. The R word is being used more. Government bond markets around the world, as you heard, they rallied on Thursday on increasing recession fears. S&P Global said its flash composite PMI fell to a six-month low, and in the U.S., the flash composite PMI declined to 51.2 from 53.6. SP and p Global said in its report the pace of U.S. economic growth slowed sharply in June, with deteriorating forward-looking indicators <laughs> setting the scene for an economic contraction in the third quarter. And on Wednesday, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell gave his most explicit acknowledgement to date that steep interest rate rises could tip the U.S. economy into recession. So let's get your thoughts. First of all, um, Andrew, um, bond markets and investors seem to be grappling with the idea now that central banks are hiking us into recession. What, What do you think?
3: Yeah, well, there are two things here. Fears of recession actually are completely meaningless, unless one defines recession. And recession is widely defined as two quarter-to-quarter back-to-back negatives. Okay, well, you know, that, that it is not anywhere near in the horizon yet. Okay, and the other part, of course, is the nearest things that we can have. These are the purchase managers' index, the MPIs, of which there are plenty. Uh, and those will need to go well below 50 uh, before forward-looking they are saying that things are going to get significantly worse than bad. That's the MPI, and none of them actually. That is the ones that have been quoted. They are declining, of course, but they are not below 50. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit conf- not concerned. I'm a little bit even confused of saying that we are going to face a recession without actually saying. I think in uh, one quarter's time we're going to see a negative and then another negative and that will be the sign of recession. And not even the Fed is doing that. Never mind poor little old Andrew Freire's in Athens.
2: I suppose it also depends where you look in the world as well, doesn't it? Maybe in the US perhaps there are more signs appearing of uh, a recession. Maybe out here yeah. less so.
3: You know, Peter, you know, I have been aching a lot about the ethnocentricity of, uh, you know, obsessive about the United States, as if it is the only country in the world. Okay, China is looking at uh, a 5.5% GDP growth. Most definitely, that's not a recession. Uh, European Union is, may very well see uh, negatives. Japan sort of is not. Okay, so, and then if we were looking at some of uh, the... Slightly bigger uh, Asian countries, including uh, South Korea, Singapore, and Taiwan. Again, it's not a matter that they will be seeing soon. Quarter on quarter, back to back, negative growth that will define it as a recession. Yeah, agreed. So this was very long-winded in repeating. Well, there isn't really any strong evidence for that.
2: Martin, I mean, Martin, Andrew is right. Obviously, we're we're not there yet. We haven't had two quarters of consecutive quarters of negative growth. But nevertheless, if you look at interest rate expectations in the market, uh, they're very rapidly being reduced this week now. The uh, interest rate expectations for the US, after, um, after they finished hiking by the end of this year, they're now predicting three rate cuts next year. So people's assessment, nevertheless, does seem to be changing, doesn't it, and getting more fearful of recession.
1: Yeah, indeed. And it's really a complicated world out there. Sometimes, like you saw uh, yesterday, suppose the bad news turns into good news because the economy is so weak that people then think maybe interest rates will be increased less, etc. So investors generally are a bit confused now what they should really worry about. Is it inflation? Is it interest rates? Is it recession? Is it mortgage rates? And then commodities dropped a bit. Mm. So it can be pretty confusing. So, um, you know, we all, we always say that well, look at the big picture, go back one step, don't follow the daily noise so much. Maybe two quick pieces of practical advice. I do still think not all of the world's problems have been resolved, even if uh, interest rate hikes um, you know, are, are not coming through as aggressive uh, in the US. Uh, given that, I would be recommending to be very, very, very careful with any form of leverage, including having high mortgages here in, in mm-hmm. Hong Kong as well. On the other hand, I don't think even with the drop in commodities that we have seen just now, I don't think that the inflation issue has been addressed successfully um, as yet. And, you know, bear in mind, again, as you just discussed with Andrew, um, the whole world isn't the same. You look at uh, Europe and you look at Japan, they haven't actually hiked rates at all. It's only Mm -hmm. the U.S. and even in the U.S. Um, you know, they are not anywhere close to where interest rates historically would have been at those kind of inflation rate, like in the 1970s, 80s, that was 15%. But now they can't afford it because debt levels are too high. So I still think uh, it's, it's very important to be watchful for inflation as well and not to hold too much cash for that reason, too.
2: Andrew, do you think, though, that the risk is that even if we're not in recession, um, that the central banks are overdoing it and uh, are going to tip us into recession? I mean, the, the Jerome Powell has sort of admitted, hasn't he, that that is a big fear. He's got a slow demand somehow, and and trying to slow demand, but not so much that it tips the economy into recession is a tough ask.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll follow off of what Martin has said, and given that I'm a, a kind of a Mickey Mouse quantitative economist, I'll give you a Mickey Mouse quantitative back of an envelope calculation. Historically, American real interest rates, I mean, but these are over decades, are about 2.5%. Now, to get to that as we stand now, and I'm not suggesting in one moment that the Fed is planning that, but it will be at the back of their minds because they carry on referring to real interest rates. If you're going to have a a 2.5% real interest rates with an inflation rate of 2%, of course, you need a nominal interest rate of 4.5%. 4.5% minus 2%, that gives you 2.5%. Mm. That means interest rates are right now 1.5%, So, which means they need to go up to about 3% before we are sort of approaching a long-term equilibrium. Now, right now, going to telling anybody that interest rates have increased by 1.5% and they're going to double from this plus uh, it ain't good news and I'm sure I'm not the only one that is doing these Mickey Mouse calculations and uh, the Fed has never come out explicitly and I should have expected this to happen to to specify a trade-off between for every 75 basis points we jack interest rates up inflation comes down by I'm saying x it's come down by two percent full percent points so That explains why we're planning to click, 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 go up 75, 75, 75, and that brings inflation down to 2. This has never been done, and I think they are flying blind, and they may very well find that the trade-off is much higher than they thought, and Mm. therefore they will have to pedal back furiously come after Christmas.
2: Martin, what what do you think? I mean, the central banks are being caught by surprise, aren't they? And they clearly don't seem to know where they've got to get to. All we know is that central banks around the world are being forced to raise interest rates uh, much higher than they originally thought. We saw two more do it yesterday. Mexico, they raised interest rates by 75 basis points. In Norway, uh, they raised it by 50 basis points. The Philippines Central Bank yesterday also increased by 25. Um, Do you worry that central banks are overdoing it?
1: Well, I worry perhaps a bit more about two things. One is, as you said, you know, everybody seems to have been surprised. Even I remember exactly two months ago, we did another interview here on RTHK. And on that day, there was the IMF forecast being discussed Mm. of inflation. And it said at the time... Uh, uh, it was covering in October last year, the IMF actually forecast 1.7 percent inflation for the eurozone. And, you know, they're not too different from all these policymakers. And now it's 8.1. You know, they got that pretty wrong. So firstly, they don't seem to, you know, have predicted those <laughs> things particularly mm. well. But more importantly, again, um, what you saw last week um, in the eurozone, Uh, they rolled out this new anti-fragmentation tool. Basically, uh, it means they're bailing out Italy at any cost. Um, it really shows they can't hike rates too much, and I think that's, that's something that's pretty much still missed. It's not just only about interest rates versus the economy, but interest rates versus a stemming a debt crisis here, and I think that's missed, and again, that's making the inflationary risk so dangerous. But one more point briefly, if I may, on the recession point. There's the macro data potential recession, but there's the equity market it doesn't necessarily always correlate with the recession. In, in fact, sometimes When the recession comes in, markets uh, could perhaps rise, some of it might Mm. be priced in, etc. So you have some positives, and particularly when you look around the world, some markets are actually trading really cheaply, and equities as an asset class, uh, tends to be more inflation-proof over time than, than say, cash holdings.
2: Is there a risk, uh, Martin and Andrew, that this is all going to cause a currency crisis? I mean, look at the pressure some of these Asian currencies are under now. The Indian rupee at a record low, the Japanese yen, 24-year low. Look at the uh, the Philippine peso, the Thai baht. They're all coming under pressure now, aren't they? Um, including inflation pressures because the Fed is raising so fast.
3: Let me take a slightly sanguine view, and I think I've I've repeated that, and I don't mind repeating it, because there is absolutely no Nobel Prize winning uh, uh, insights here, but it's just just a fact when you look at it. I think the Japanese, and I'm talking about crushing exchange rates, the Japanese have got it spot on. They said, we're not going to increase interest rates. Actually, we're going to keep them at zero, because if we do, we're going to harm the economy, but we want higher inflation. So what we're going to do, By not increasing interest rates whilst the Americans are increasing, the yen tanked out, which is excellent news for Japan because it is supportive of what is an export, I wouldn't say export-driven, but definitely one of the biggest export economies in the world, by making Japanese goods cheaper and at the same time by making inputs more expensive, guess what, it helps inflation. So if you are concerned about inflation, but here it's in reverse, the Japanese want more inflation rather than less, then the exchange rates can be really your friend. Now, in the rest of the places, yeah.
2: You can't do that, though, in a place like the Philippines, can you, where you've got a huge... uh... No, of
3: course not. I'm not suggesting that, because the poor Filipinos, they're not telling you they want much higher inflation, Mm. they want lower inflation. So, unfortunately, in their cases, uh, they will have to to sort of hopscotch with the American interest rates in order to maintain differentials that don't put pressure on their currencies. Yeah.
2: Martin, what are your thoughts? Well,
1: well, I am worried about currency crisis, but really... All currencies, pretty much, because you have the eurozone facing that issue that I just outlined. They, ha- they are in another sovereign debt crisis without having announced it really, but that shows to basically sacrifice savers uh, and currency stability in order to bail out everybody in the eurozone. Um, then you have Japan, another major economy. As Andrew just said, it means their exports will become somewhat more competitive that in turn might put pressure back uh on on the united states as well if they just keep hiking and hiking dollar keeps getting stronger that doesn't have their trade balance and and deficits as well and might put pressure on them so around the world you might have these um you know this this trend towards currency value erosion and from an investor's perspective like across asia if you're worried about currency crisis ever just you know look at allocating a significant portion of your assets to inflation proof things then you can sort of have a degree of hedge against the currency um crisis in this way
2: I know we talked before about what sort of things, but it clearly can't be, uh, well, but certainly not bonds at the moment, uh, because uh, they're, they're tanking, they're having the worst start to a year. Uh, I think it's in 1783. So, where do you go? Uh,
3: yeah, Andrew. If, if one. Sorry, okay, So, very brief imagine. If one, um, I don't want to say a bet because I will never say that as, a, as an investment manager, stroke advisor, I want to say take a bet. You know, this is not a casino, this is a market. But if we collectively begin to think that uh, the central banks are overdoing it then and if we collectively feel that perhaps the first quarter of next year is going to be a significant pivot in turning point point, that's quite bullish in fact in in begin to positioning on uh, the two or even on the 10-year uh US government bonds Mm -hmm. the moment the markets sniff that uh, the fed is finishing that is going to be a boom time for bonds
2: is that the key, Martin, do you think, to um, whether or not this rally that maybe we've seen in stocks uh, this week can continue and that maybe stock markets can bottom out? Because it's been a pretty torrid uh, year for stocks that were since 1932. Um, we need to see signs that the Fed has basically uh, is going to finish soon
1: first point not for Chinese stocks again you know coming back to the point you know everybody just looks at the US to start with um, uh, but um, but I do think yeah, coming back to your question on, on what, what things are inflation proof you have any type of tangible assets commodities obviously but property also and equities too and people don't often think about it and I think medium to long term that's, that's really a factor um, that does support markets one should diversify across geographies and asset classes so be conscious of volatility tolerance and Time frame. if there's another sharp drop in equities doesn't help if one gets stopped out due to leverage or stopped out due to panic and sells in so uh, you know one needs to think before investing what one would do but uh, medium to long term I think there are great opportunities still in equities and it's just a way uh, 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 some exposure can be a way to be uh, looking at defensive positioning as well in terms of the inflation proof compared with say 100% in what you traditionally thought was cautious cash and fixed interest but you know you see increasing inflationary risk weeping into that and you have to sort of rethink what really risk means for everyone asset class but anything has got well, pros and cons so I'm not saying that anyone asset class on its zone is, is, is absolutely not good. You have to just uh, spread your bets and just be conscious of all the different risks that you face in each asset class.
2: Good advice. Thank you very much. That's Martin Henniker, Head of Investment Advisory at St. James's Place. Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Time's 8.24 and a half, and we're joined now by Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities in South Korea. Morning, Peter. Good morning. Um, We've been talking about recessionary fears this morning, so I want to continue with that theme and and get your thoughts. Are you worried that, uh, as some markets, uh, some investors have been uh, this week, that maybe central banks are overdoing it around the world and are tightening us into a recession?
4: Uh, good question. Uh, I was in the U.S. traveling around uh, seeing investors for about a week. Uh, and it seems clear that uh, my client base, at least, uh, already uh, pricing in uh, recession. Uh, it's really now a matter of whether it's going to be a short one or actually the ultimate fear of uh, stagflation, uh, uh, which is uh, something that is being discussed uh, uh, even uh, uh, as we speak. I don't think the central bank reaction is not so much a matter of whether they're overdoing it, uh, but finding the balance to try to uh, uh, restrict this contagion effect from the, the COVID uh, into a, a manageable recession uh, that will give us a, a way out. Uh, because I think uh, there is a lot of elements here that uh, is out of our control, to be frank.
2: And, of course, when we talk about a recession, we have to talk about where, where we think it might hit, because it's not going to hit equally around the world, is it? Where, where do you think uh, maybe is most at risk? And where do you think maybe it could be a safe haven?
4: So, typically, when you have the FOMC uh, hiking this aggressively, uh, everyone looks to the EM. Uh, mm. uh, and, of course, the weak link within the EM is usually Latin America uh and uh some of the uh, uh commodity driven uh part of asia um however uh during this uh, cycle uh you have massive rally in commodities uh which actually is uh, giving uh a, a much needed break for the brazil chile indonesia of the world so uh that uh, is the positive uh, i guess uh, if we then look to the uh, the other parts around the world Um, I would say that the the internally driven inflation that is trying to spread instead of the imported nature. um, I think uh, uh, countries like uh, India, uh, current account deficit, Mm. uh, those countries would start to uh, feel the heat, uh, especially if we continue to get some volatility. In currencies that we have been seeing
2: recently. Well, I was going to ask you about that because we are, particularly in Asian currencies, aren't we? We are seeing um, a lot of pressure now um, coming from this rise in interest rates. We're seeing the Indian rupees at a record low, the Japanese yen at a 24 year low, the Philippine peso, the Thai baht all coming under pressure there. Um, is this going to uh, strain what and uh, 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 put more pressure even on uh, the central banks here to, to raise even further to try and either protect their currencies or stop them from importing inflation?
4: Yeah, so that's the balance that I mentioned earlier is that uh, you know, uh, there are so many moving parts that's out of the central bank's control. Uh, by raising rates, exactly how much of this imported uh, inflation coming from commodities? And energy uh, uh, will be resolved. Second part is that if uh, by being too dovish, you see what's happening with Japan, it mm. hits your currency market. Mm. Uh, so it really is a, a balancing act. Um, I think we should start to uh, price in and expect uh, certain countries gonna have to sh- uh, show stress. And I think that really uh, depends on how aggressive or too passive uh, certain central banks may. Uh, undertake in coming months,
2: and I'm wondering where, particularly in Asia, we could see the most stress. I mean, I'm thinking about maybe the Philippines, for example, which is a huge food importer, isn't it? And also, it's got a very large uh, trade sure. deficit as well. That, that presumably is going to be one of the prime places where the stresses could appear.
4: Yeah, I, I'd hate to uh, pick uh, pick on a couple of countries that said they're most vulnerable, but you're you're correct. Uh, I've had questions about South Korea because it is essentially an island and we do import in pretty much everything uh, from outside. Mm. Um, uh, and on that point, uh, South Korea has been particularly lucky by the fact that they started hiking earlier uh, than the rest uh, because of our concerns on property market. And that has uh, given uh, much needed relief uh, during this cycle.
2: And one of the worrying things about all of this is that we don't know because the central banks themselves don't seem to know just where, how high they've got to take interest rates to try and squeeze inflation down to levels that they're comfortable with.
4: Yeah, um, look, you know, I estimate that more than half of the current inflation pressure is coming from uh, supply side, supply side disruptions. Uh, disengagement of China from the global trade uh, and the war uh, I question whether higher rates going to uh, be effective in tackling that side of the inflation but certainly uh, we've uh, 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 caused these problems on our own by massive stimulus uh, uh, coming from COVID uh, and uh, overly uh, easy monetary policy and central banks have been too uh, slow to move so Uh, I have to say that a lot of this is self-inflicted and I'm not sure whether uh, we can achieve a soft landing uh, to uh, come out of it uh, at least during this cycle.
2: Very good points. Thank you very much, Peter. That's Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities in Seoul. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this week. Uh, In Australia, first of all, the ASX200 is down about a third of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is up a quarter of a percent. The Cosby is rallying today. It's up uh, almost 1% now, shortly after the open. Looks like it's going to be a flat open for the Hang Seng in just under an hour's time. Thank you very much for listening this week. Do have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday morning at 9 o'clock. Back chat's coming up after the news with Janice Wong and James Ockenden. The weather forecast, once again, going to be very hot during the day. Maximum temperature of around 34 degrees. That very hot weather warning is in force. uh, And it's going to be mainly fine and very hot in the next couple of days as well. Sunny periods and one or two showers early to midweek next week. Temperature right now, 29 degrees, 81% relative humidity. 8:31.
0: Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. Incoming Chief Secretary Eric Chan and Constitutional and Mainland Affairs Minister Eric Tsang have tested positive for COVID-19, as Aaron Tam reports. Eric Chan last went to work on Monday, while Eric Tsang last worked on Wednesday. The pair are currently isolating. Mr. Chan, who's currently the head of the Chief Executive's Office, has been under quarantine since Tuesday because his wife came down with the coronavirus earlier. Mr. Tsung's wife, customs chief Louise Ho, has tested negative, but she's now undergoing quarantine because she's considered a close contact. The government said the two officials' offices will conduct thorough cleaning and disinfection. Officials say Mr. Chan last had a brief meeting with chief executive Carrie Lam on Monday, but she's not considered a close contact and has since tested negative. Power company CLP has apologised to residents of some 13,000 homes in Yunlong that briefly lost electricity last night. The company says the supply was unstable after Tuesday's cable bridge fire that plunged large swathes of the Western New Territories into darkness. About half the homes had power restored in 10 minutes last night, the rest within half an hour. This resident was cooking dinner when the lights went out.
4: I'm I was just cooking, washing vegetables, and all of a sudden there was a pop sound, and then the whole flat went dark. I was quite scared. Later, after I calmed myself, because I was home alone, along with my dog, I turned on the torch on my phone to look for candles and to see if the lights were on elsewhere in the estate. When I discovered the entire estate was blacked out, I wasn't scared anymore because it wasn't only my flat. It took around 20 minutes for the power to come back.
0: President Volodymyr Zelensky has welcomed the European Union's decision to make Ukraine an official candidate for membership as an historic moment and a victory for his embattled nation. The process has moved at record speed since Ukraine applied to join, just days after the Russian assault neighbouring Moldova has also been given candidate status. Georgia has been told it must do more before becoming a candidate. The president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, said the development sent a strong signal.
3: I'm deeply convinced that our decision that we have taken today strengthened us all. It strengthens Ukraine, Moldova and Georgia in the face of Russian aggression. And it strengthens the European Union because it shows once again to the world that the European Union is united and strong in the face of external threats.
0: You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good
4: morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Janice Wong and my co-host today is James Ockenden. Good morning, James.
0: Good morning, Janice.
4: On today's program, we're talking about changes to Hong Kong's University Entrance Exam, students who take the Hong Kong Diploma of Secondary Education Examination or HKD.